were gonna call, but Eddie wanted to make it a surprise. Yeah, you surprised? <laughs> surprised, Eddie? <laughs> if I woke up tomorrow with my head sewn to the carpet, I wouldn't be more surprised than I am right now. <laughs> we have plenty of room. <laughs> plenty of towels. <laughs> Plenty of everything. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> well we're, we're pretty well set up there in the RV. You know, it's a little tight, but we didn't come to impose. Well, <laughs> there's plenty of room. Over this, over these past few weeks during Advent, we've been introduced to a bunch of characters who've been welcomed home to Jesus's house over the holidays. First of all, week one, we met the floundering family who showed us that into our broken homes, into our broken lives, God moves in. That is the message of Christmas. And then week two, we met the upscale uncle who showed us, who taught us that God does not want our stuff uh, instead, he wants our hearts. And then last week, we met the self-entitled sister who showed us that through his grace, God wants to exchange the lemon of us doing life by ourselves for the limousine of living life with him. Once again, that is the Christmas message, is that we don't have to go through life by ourselves because God is with us. And this week, our surprise guest is the needy neighbor. Now, he's turned up on Jesus' doorstep uh, because he's got nowhere else to go. He's tired. He's hungry. He has an empty wallet. He has an empty stomach. So I'd like to introduce you to the needy neighbor. And the Bible account that we're going to use to try to understand this needy neighbor is Mark chapter 10, verse 46 through verse 52, um, which is the story, which is yeah, the account of a blind man receiving sight. We're going to learn today that, yes, Jesus gives sight um, to the blind, but that's not where the story ends because he didn't only come to give sight to the blind. Jesus came to give vision to those who have sight. He wants you to live with vision. Let's turn to Mark chapter 10, verse 46. And as you're turning there, let me pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that it is that it's alive, it's exciting. Lord, it's a narrative where we see you right in the midst of it, Lord. And I pray that uh, we would see ourselves there in the narrative, Lord, and that uh, you would speak super powerfully to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So as we've already heard, Jesus and the disciples, his apprentices, are making their way to Jerusalem. And uh, recently, they've been walking through the region of the Jordan, but now they've actually arrived at the city of Jericho. Now, now the Lord does what he, he does in the city, which is presumably healing and preaching and, um, and you know, things like that. And as, as verse 46 shows us, uh, he's, he finds himself in the midst of a crowd it's a heaving crowd because, as we've learned over these past few weeks and months, is that people love being around Jesus. And just as he's about to leave the city, a blind man whose name is Bartimaeus, he yells out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And the people around him tell him to shut up. After all, no one likes that obnoxiously loud person at the party especially if you're loud and you're a panhandler for a living. 
Now, I love that people keep assuming that they know what Jesus wants. They seem to think that they know him. You know, they come up to him and they say things like, children, don't sit on his knee. He doesn't like that. And they say, you know, okay, Mr. Blind Man, Jesus isn't interested in you, so have some respect for the rabbi and maybe shut up a little. Well, what this means is that we sometimes think that Jesus has more important things to do, more important um, folks to see than this particular individual. But often that person that we cast aside is the very person that he came to reach. And so it's a good thing that years, years as a beggar has, led, has, has, has made this man, Bart, have a thick skin because he takes this this attempt to shut him up as a bit of a challenge, and so he shouts even louder, Son of David, have mercy on me. This man, this panhandler, is blind, but the words that he uses shows that his vision of Jesus Christ is absolutely spot on. First of all, he calls him Jesus, also known as Joshua, the one whose very name means God saves and here is Jesus, or Yeshua, known as Joshua, there in the city of Jericho, the very place where another Joshua saw walls crashing to the ground. Now this time, maybe it's not bricks and mortar, but, with, but without a shadow of doubt, walls are going to be falling down. Jesus, the modern-day Joshua, is going to perform one more divine wall-smashing and the life that's scheduled for leveling is Bart's. Now, at that time, there were likely lots of Joshua's, lots of Jesus's, lots of Yeshua's around. It was a popular name like Sam or Jim or Randy is around here. And there in the city of Jericho, it was likely super popular because of the history of the place. But verse 47 of chapter 10 tells us that when, when Bartimaeus heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, that was the moment when he, he called out. It was this one that he was looking for. It wasn't Jesus, you know, the tinsmith or Jesus of Sychar or Jesus of Magdala or Jesus who lived two streets over and started dating your, girl for, um, your sister last week. It's not that Jesus it's Jesus of Nazareth. And when Bart hears that it's this Jesus, his ears start to really prick up. And here's the thing that we need to realize. As, as we come to Jesus for help and for salvation, we are not coming, or we are coming to someone who's an actual, specific, historical person. He's not a higher power or a hopeful concept, or he's not even God as we understand him. We need to come to God as he's revealed himself as Jesus the Nazarene. He's also Jesus, David's son, as we read in verse 47. He's of the line of David. He has a family tree. And that's why we're reading through the book of Mark, is to find out who God is as revealed in his son. This one who, who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so right into the ears of Jesus of Nazareth, he hears this blind man shout. 
Now, this man's eyes may not work, but his lungs work. And so he uses whatever resources he has to really get the attention of the Lord. And so he shouts and he shouts and he prays probably, you know, the best prayer we can pray. And so if you're ever stuck in the morning, you know, like, I'm not sure what to pray. You find you're saying the same things over and over again. Here's another option. Have mercy on me. In fact, let's say it all together now. Have mercy on me. One more time. Have mercy on me. And why I love this prayer is because it really, it really covers everything. Have mercy on me. We have to be praying this. Um, that most of the most honest prayers which I pray are the prayers when I'm asking him for mercy. If I'm honest. You know, when I know that I have nothing to bring to him, when I know that my hands are maybe empty or maybe dirty with sin, when I, when I know that I have nothing to wow him with, when I know that, that, that my, my spiritual bank balance is at an all-time low, when I'm so sick of where I've allowed myself to reach once again, when... when when I'm aware of my tendency towards being blind regarding my own sin, it's in these moments that I realize that I have nothing I can do except to cry to him for mercy. Many times and far too often, our prayers go something like this. God, help me to help myself. Help me to do better. Help me to stop screwing up. But these aren't the prayers that God answers. The prayer that stops God literally in his tracks is that prayer that says, have mercy on me. And so when we're in trouble, we shout. We don't whisper. We shout, have mercy on me. And this is the first step to receiving spiritual sight. And so if Jesus isn't your Lord and your King and your Savior today, then this is where the journey starts. You have to call on him. You have to shout to him. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 17, the, the Lord himself says this, you say, I am rich, I've acquired wealth, and I do not need a thing, which sounds very much like that, that ruler of Mark chapter 10 that Nathan shared about a couple of weeks ago. He wanted, you know, the Lord to really top things up a little bit so that he could have eternal life. That's what he thought. He thought he had everything. But you do not realize that you are wretched, you are pitiful, you are poor, you are blind, you are naked. This and what Bart, what Bartimaeus, what this blind man realized is that he had nothing. He had absolutely nothing. He didn't come with this list, with this list of, of the commands that he'd kept since he was a child. He was, he was absolutely aware of, of, of his nothingness, of his need. And then the Lord goes on in Revelation chapter 3. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and self to put on your eyes so that you can see. What this shows us is that God is not interested in helping us to do better. He's not interested at all. What he's interested in doing is everything for us. 
He wants to do it all. And so when he comes up to someone who is blind, he does not give the spiritually blind a walking stick or a seeing eye. God, a dog. That's very unfortunate. I'm sorry, Lord. Please don't strike me down. He does not give the spiritually blind a walking stick or a, or a seeing eye dog. He gives the spiritually blind a brand new set of eyes. All that we need, absolutely everything, there's nothing, ex- ex- nothing accepted from this phrase. All that we need is found in Christ. But we will only find it when we stop trying to save ourselves. Because there's only one saviour the man Jesus Christ. And so Jesus hears Bart shout, have mercy on me, and that stops Jesus in his tracks. He does not take one more step. He stops after he, sh- after he hears Bart shout. So Bart shouts, Jesus stops. Now, now the Lord was on his way out of the city. He was probably already thinking about what's next, but now he's no longer leaving that place. Now his whole attention is on this one man. Jesus's plans changed because of this man. And he says these two words, call him, call him. He summons Bart and that moment changes everything for him because verse 50 tells us that Bartimaeus throws aside his cloak, this this symbol of everything that he had, that thing that would keep him from the wind and the rain and the elements. He throws it aside maybe one of the only things that he even owns in this world, he jumps to his feet and he goes over to Jesus. And then Jesus asks him what he wants and Bart says says this, I want to see. So what about you? What is it that you want from Jesus that only he is able to give to you? What is it that you need to start asking him for? And then Jesus speaks words of healing into Bart's life. He says to him, go, your faith has healed you. So as we shout, Jesus stops, he summons us, and then he speaks. What do you want me to do for you? Go, your faith has healed you. And there is mighty power in the creative voice of our Lord Jesus Christ. There is absolute power in the words that he speaks. As one hymn words it, he speaks and listening to his voice, what new life the dead receive. He speaks and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. And so Bart throws aside all that he has, his cloak, he, and, and then he jumps onto his feet, which means that he was... He made a decision not to stay where he was. And then he walks over to Jesus. And straight away, we are told that Jesus heals him, but receives his sight. And then he follows Jesus along the road. In other words, he submitted. And so when Jesus saves someone, this is what happens. He turns them into a follower. The rich man walked away from Jesus, sad, but with all of his wealth. But then this ex-blind man follows Jesus with nothing except the clothes on his back and new life and a purpose. He's now walking in the master's footsteps. He's a follower. He has submitted. He has full, full view, 
full vision. So how about you? Are you following Jesus in submission and in thankfulness? You see, if Jesus hasn't touched you or healed you of your blindness, then you aren't able to follow him because you are blind. It's only as you, you walk up to Jesus and you call to him, you shout to him, knowing that there's nothing that you can do to save yourself or to heal yourself or to change your circumstances. It's only as you shout to him, have mercy on me, that he can have mercy on you, that he can summon you to himself, that he calls you and that he speaks life into your life, that he can heal you of your spiritual darkness so that you can see enough to follow after him. And so, how do we follow him? By reading his word, by reading what's in the Bible. It's a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Without what's written in the Bible, no, no matter how well-meaning you are, your path is absolutely dark. And so, you know, a really good sign of whether you have spiritual sight is to ask yourself this, am I following after Jesus? And to know if you're following Jesus, one of the really good things to ask yourself is, am I regularly reading his word so that it can change me? You see, as, as pastor here, I'm not interested in stroking your ego. And I'm not interested in lulling you into a false sense of security that you are following Jesus if, in fact, you are not. Because I will be held accountable for that. And I don't want to have that on my conscience. But what I do want you to do is to do some serious soul, soul inventory here over Christmas. Because this is the most wonderful present that you that you can give yourself and your family by asking yourself these things. Am I following Christ? Do I have a love for his word? Is the fact that he died and rose again making any difference in my day-to-day -day life at all? Or is my life indistinguishable from those around me? If it is, then the reason may be because you are still blind though you have convinced yourself that you can see. And there's nothing sadder than a blind person walking around convinced that they can see when everyone else can see that they are, in fact, blind, still without sight. So if this is you, then what I encourage you to do is to come to Jesus, not with your li list of accomplishments, but with your nothing. It's to come to him and shout, have mercy on me. And when, those, when there are those voices of the crowd in your head saying, shh, don't make a scene, don't embarrass yourself, everyone thinks that you are already following Jesus, don't come out of the closet, stay where it's safe, where nobody knows you and assumes you're okay. What you have to do when you hear those voices in the crowd is to shout them out, is to drown them out with a shout of faith, have mercy on me. Your shout of faith needs to be louder than the reasons that are telling you to be quiet. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. This last part of the message today, I want to aim at people here who are already following Christ, those who already have spiritual sight. And this is my message for you. God healed you of your spiritual blindness so that you could lead the spiritually blind to him.
He came not just to give sight to the blind, but to give vision to the sighted, vision to those with sight. You see, it's not enough for you to say, I can now see. You now have a job, and your job is to show the blind the way to Jesus. You are now a guide. You are a chaperone. You are a Sherpa. And, and a Sherpa, if you don't know what that means, a Sherpa is someone who helps someone on their journey. It's a guide, usually while mountain climbing or you know some kind of really dangerous thing. And this is your job now, is to, is to help the blind move over to Jesus. This is why you exist, not just to enjoy your, your newfound sight, but to help spiritually blind people navigate this really treacherous terrain to Jesus so that they can then enjoy the sight that you now have. Jesus didn't just come to give sight to the blind, but he came to give vision and purpose and meaning to the sighted. So, how do, how do we get hold of this wonderful vision? First of all, we have to see and recognize the need of the lost, and, and we need to let that need move our hearts so that our hearts actually break. We have to be moved. We have to care about those who are blind. You see, right there in the story, there was a crowd, but they weren't listening to the need of this man. They were so focused on Jesus that they didn't focus on him. They had sight, but they lacked vision. And how, how tragic would it be if some of the people who, would, who were saying to, saying to Bartimaeus, shut up, were people who had just been healed? But we would never do that, right? And yet, how easy is it for us to be so focused on what's going on within these four walls when our mission is actually out there? And it starts with listening to the heart cry of those who are lost. We have to care about those who are blind. So if there's someone who you know who does not yet know Christ, and you have the feeling that these conversations keep on coming around to things of the Lord or things of meaning of, of life, then that's because God wants to start, wants you to start leading them to him. And so what you have to do is to listen to them, is to listen beyond the words that they're saying to really find out what is the cry of the heart. Their mouth might be talking about purpose and meaning and the emptiness of life, but what their heart is saying is, I need Jesus. And their mouth might be talking about regret and guilt and self-loathing, but what their heart is saying is, I need a savior. And secondly, that caring needs to lead into calling. You see, Jesus said in verse 49, he said, you know, you know, to those in the crowd, he said, call him. And so Jesus is waiting for people um, who will come to him fueled by faith like Bart. But what has to happen so that they're able to come to him fueled by faith is that people um, have to tell them that Jesus is actually calling them. We have to relay this message to them. We have to call the lost, and this is our responsibility. So first, we have to recognize that they need Jesus. We have to care. And secondly, we have to relay his message to them. We have to call them. And how, how do we do this? Simply 
by sharing with them the motto of the spiritual Sherpa, which we find in verse 49. Firstly, cheer up. This is the motto of the spiritual Sherpa. Cheer up. With Jesus in the picture, there is good news. There is great news that sin does not have the last word. That as we turn away from our sin and we turn to Jesus, we allow him to have the last word. This is the first uh, sentence in the motto of the spiritual Sherpa. And the second one is this, on your feet. Don't stay where you are. Take steps of faith towards Jesus. So maybe that means asking people to come to church. Maybe it says, hey, we actually meet as a grow group. Would you like to come? It's a place where we talk about the sermon and you can ask questions. Or maybe it's you saying, why don't you meet, meet me for lunch on my lunch break and listen to my story? Or, or we're running a course in January where you can um, hear about Christ and, and ask, lo ask lots of these questions and have a safe place to, to share about. So why not come to Alpha in January? Our responsibility is to tell people to cheer up and to get on their feet. And why is this? Because Jesus is already calling them. He's already gone ahead of you, the, the, the spiritual Sherpa, and he's already working in their lives. And now he's sending you to Sherpa them over to him. Someone at your work needs to know that their cry for help has caused Jesus to stop in his tracks, to stop what he was doing in heaven, and to come here to earth on a rescue mission that took the shape of a cross. Their shout for help stopped Jesus in their, on his tracks. Someone in your family has to help that Jesus has to hear that Jesus is calling them. Someone in your carpool or in your lunch hall, maybe a needy neighbor, has to hear your story that you were blind and that now you see. And so my encouragement for you is not to be satisfied with your own spiritual sight because God's, God came to give you a vision, a vision to fulfill God's calling on your life by following Jesus and becoming a spiritual Sherpa to lead people to him. And so ask someone, say, hey, we... We do have an Alpha course starting next month. Most people come to Alpha course because of a personal invitation. That's how they come. It's, it's not a sign. It's, it's a personal invitation. Or ask someone to our Christmas service tomorrow where they will hear, hear the message of the gospel. Ask someone to your grow group. Ask someone to church. Share your story with them. And if this makes you afraid then learn what the basics of the gospel are and ask your friend who's a brother and sister in Christ if you can maybe practice on them because this is the gospel that gives sight into the lives that are blind. This is the gospel that gives vision to those who have sight. This is the gospel that turns those with sight into Sherpas for Christ. And what is the gospel? It's simply saying to someone, cheer up on your feet Jesus is calling you. That is the gospel. Let us, yeah, let us pray as the worship team comes up. Lord, as we wrap up this year and as we look ahead into the next year, Lord, I pray that you would make us into a church that has shouted out to you, that has stopped you in your tracks, that has heard you speak, that has, that has responded to your summons and that has laid down our lives, Lord, that has, made, that has become submissive to you. Lord, I pray that you would make us into a church who really cares 
for the lost and the blind and that we take that responsibility on ourselves to let them know that you are calling them. Lord, left on our own, we don't care and therefore we don't call. But when we allow the marvelousness and the beauty of the gospel and the message of the cross to truly grip our hearts, we become transformed into spiritual Sherpas that lead lead those who are blind to you so that they can be healed. Lord, I pray that you would do this through a mighty work of the Holy Spirit, that you would transform us, that you would reinvent us, that you would recreate us. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen.